Amen. All right, good things. So, we've had some discussion going on. Those of you just joining us live, I apologize for the camera movement. It must have got bumped before class started. So, praise God. I uh, hope everybody's getting settled in. Um, let's pray, and, uh, and, we'll, and we'll begin. Father, thank you. This time together, uh, yet again, this Wednesday afternoon, Lord, I thank you uh, for your great love for us. I, I thank you, Father, that um, we have this opportunity and this privilege to, to gather together, um, either through the broadcast or in this room in person. Um, Lord, there's others who would, who would like to be here but, but can't because of schedule or, or distance. Um, and yet, Father, uh, you, you've, you've joined us here for your purposes. And, um, and Lord, you know, it, it just, it, it's something very meaningful uh, in, inwardly, in our inward parts, Father, to, to know that we're doing something right tonight, that, that we've made a commitment to something and we're following through on it, and it's something that's pleasing you. And so, Father, we rejoice in that together tonight. We thank you for what you have to, to reveal to us from your holy word. I thank you for helping us bring our hearts to attention. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand and process, Lord, the things that, that you desire to breathe into us tonight. And Holy Spirit, we thank you and acknowledge you as our teacher, leading us and guiding us into all truth in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. All right, and so uh, class number 31. Class number 31 is kind of hard for me, as many years as I've done this, to, to stop and consider that we've already had 30 classes and fixing to do number 31. So um, I want to uh, begin tonight just with a quick review, and so that's what we're calling it, quick review, uh, to bring us up uh, to speed. And um, I'll tell you what, if you want to, you can go ahead and turn uh, to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, those will be our first uh, verses that we look at, um, a few verses out of 1 Corinthians 15. Now listen, we, we're here to study the Bible, we're here to, you know, to hear what God has to say from the Word, uh, and so we, we look at a lot of verses in these classes, and we're going we're gonna to look at even probably more tonight than we, we do on an average, uh, average time together. So anyway, praise God. Some of these I'll, I'll want you to turn to and look at. Maybe if you highlight, get you to highlight them. Others we may just run through rather quickly uh, for sake of time. You just write down the, uh, the reference, the address. But um, anyway, let's, let's dig into our quick review. Um, the, uh, the first thing we've said is that Jesus uh, saved us from the corrupted seed of Adam. We said our problems went deeper than our behavior. Our problems went deeper than our thinking, behavior as far as our outward uh, fleshly actions, behavior, uh, our, our soul, our, our mind, our thinking. We certainly had issues there, uh, but our problems went deeper than that. They went all the way to the nature level or the spirit level of our being. And, um, and the Bible says we were born of, of corrupted seed, and Jesus came to save us from that corrupted seed. All right? The next thing we see is that the new birth is a literal experience, okay? So again, just a quick review, ladies, come on in. We just started, so uh, anyway, the, 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 the new birth is a literal experience as opposed to what? A figurative experience as, as, as opposed to something that it's like. No, it's not like something. It's not like we were born again. We were literally born again, all right? Then... Uh, the next thing, of course, is that, and I apologize for dumping those all on you at once, we were, the, the Scriptures say, uh, by nature, children of disobedience and wrath. We were, by nature, children of disobedience and wrath. 
And then having been born again, I think somewhere we missed something here. Praise God. Well, amen. Let me go back. Thank you, Jesus. All right, class number 31. Amen. Uh, yeah, there's lots of bills remaining here. All right, so Jesus saves from the corrupted seed of Adam. And um, the new birth is little experience. And here we go. Seed determines nature. And the only way to change the nature of a thing is change the seed that produced it. Okay, that's a really key point right there. Seed determines nature, and the only way to change the nature of a thing is to change the seed that produced it. Remember, a seed produced this apple and a seed produced this orange. The only way to make this orange an apple is to change the seed that produced this orange. You can reshape it, you can recolor it, you can put stems on it and, and even put a, a sign on it that says this is an apple. You can put an apple t-shirt on this, right? Like a Christian t-shirt. You can put an apple t-shirt on here. But if we break this orange open at its very nature, it's, it's an orange and the seed that produced it remains in it. Okay, um, So the only way to make this orange an apple is to change the seed that produced it. And that is exactly what Jesus did for us through the new birth. Um, we were able to be born a second time of an incorruptible seed. All right? Now, um, there's a hiccup in the slides. We were by nature, uh, so seed determines nature. The incorruptible seed of the Word of God has produced a new nature in us, but before that happened, we were by nature children of disobedience and wrath. Sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Um, so the idea is it's not just that, that we were the offspring of these things. We were born of these things. The Bible also says, having been born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God, we are now partakers of what? The divine nature. The divine nature. So we were, past tense, we were by nature children of wrath. Okay, that means damnation. Children of damnation. But now that we've been born a second time of an incorruptible seed, we've now become a partaker of the divine nature. Because we were born of God's seed, we become a partaker of His nature. Alright? And then we said, it was not your sin that made you a sinner, and it was not your good works that made you righteous. Okay? So it's, it's, it's not what you've done that determines your identity as a sinner or your identity as one who is now righteous. Okay? And so there we discussed, and that was a, a, a sticking point for a lot of people over the years, and, you know, because we're so, our, our minds have been so conditioned to think that we are what we do. And so if we commit a sin, that means we're a sinner. Uh, but again, th that's not true. Nature is not determined by behavior, it's determined by seed. And we reverse the script because we, remember we, we said, well look, you know, can someone who is by nature a sinner uh, commit any amount of good works to change their nature from sinner to righteous or from sinner to sane? And of course we all know that's, that's impossible. But yet, people will so quickly say that someone who has been born of a, a second time of a different seed that's become a saint, has become righteous by that new birth, that somehow now if they make a mistake and commit a sin, that they go right back to being a sinner again. And of course, we see that we're talking about something that is much deeper in us than thinking or behavior. It's something that only a new seed can change. And so again, it was not your sin that made you a sinner. We looked last week at the sinless sinners. Remember that unique group of people we talked about? Some of you may be new to the class. These were all the people who lived from Adam to Moses that never broke the law that Adam broke. They never committed the sin that Adam committed. And so therefore, in the eyes of God, right, 
They never committed a sin because there is no sin if there is no law. Right? But yet these people died just like Adam died. The consequence of sin is death. Because the Bible says through one man's sin that the consequences of sin pass to all men. Because when Adam sinned, we all sinned with him. We were in Adam in seed form when he sinned. Alright? So, whose sin then made you and me sinners? Adam sinned. Why? Because we were all in Adam when Adam sinned. We were all in Adam when Adam sinned. We were all in Adam when Adam sinned. Now, again, I noticed some of you, even those of you here last week, you look, what does that mean? How is that possible? Well, remember we said that God looks at seed and, and, and the power of seed different from us. He doesn't see it the same way. And, and if you see it one way and God sees it another, guess who's right and guess who's wrong? God's always right. So remember when he was talking about the, the entire Levitical priesthood. Levi, one of the twelve tribes of, of, of Israel. All the descendants of Levi became the priests for the nation of Israel. That's why they're called the Levitical, the book of Leviticus, the Levitical priesthood. Well, Jesus wasn't born from the tribe of Levi. And so there were a lot of people who said there's no way that Jesus is the Messiah because the Messiah is, is our new high priest. And he, he's not of Levi, so if you're not of Levi, you can't be a priest. Well, the writer of Hebrews said, au contraire, mon frere, right? He says, hold on a second, right? There was a priesthood that predated the Levitical priesthood. And that was the priestly order of Melchizedek. And the entire Levitical uh, priesthood paid tithes to Melchizedek. And you're thinking, how in the world is that possible because of the, the timing of these things? And the Bible says that they were in the loins. They were, they were in Abraham in seed form when Abraham paid tithe to all to Melchizedek. Now see, we're like, oh, that just sounds like fuzzy math to me. No, it's not fuzzy math. It's the power of seed. It's the power of seed. So when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek, Every descendant of Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek when Abraham did it because they were all in Abraham's body in seed form when he did it. Okay? So when Adam sinned, we all sinned with him. It was not your sin that made you a sinner. And I'm not saying that we haven't sinned. But it was not your behavior that caused you to be born of a corrupted seed. You were born a sinner because you were born of a corrupted seed that made you by nature a sinner. This is why Jesus said you must be born again, having been born a second time of an incorruptible seed, the incorruptible seed of the Word of God which lives and abides forever. We said an incorruptible seed, right, produces incorruptible fruit. An incorruptible seed produced within your spirit an indestructible heredity. Something that sin can't change. Something your behavior can't change. Amen or oh me? Alright, now, whose obedience made you and me righteous? Jesus' obedience made us righteous. Why? Because we have received for ourselves. Now this is what we're going to build on tonight. We have received for ourselves what Jesus did for us as our substitute, and we are now in Christ. In other words, we were in Adam, but when we were born again, we're no longer in Adam. We are now in Christ. Everything that was true of Adam was true of us when we were in Adam. But now that we are in Christ, everything that's true of someone who is in Christ is now true of you and me. Even if it doesn't look like, smell like, or seem like, or feel like it's true, it's true. Amen. So again, 
We have received for ourselves what Jesus did for us as our substitute. That's another way to explain what salvation, receiving salvation, being born again. We're going to stitch some of this together for you tonight. Use the Bible to do it, okay? But again, this, this is what it really means to receive salvation. Jesus came to do something for you and me that we could not do for ourselves. He came as our substitute to do for us what we could not do for ourselves and then gave us the credit for it. I don't know the exact passage, so please forgive me, but this keeps jumping up in my spirit, right? It, and the Bible says it this way. The Bible says that the fathers ate sour grapes and the children's teeth were set on edge. What's the principle? What's the truth being revealed here? Well, have you ever like sucked on too many lemons, too many acidic uh, uh, fruits or vegetables, and it make your teeth sharp? I know it'll be gross on you, but if you've ever vomited, stomach acid will do the same thing to your teeth. Make your man, I just oh, thank you, Jesus. Right? I don't like to think about it. Right? And you don't even want your teeth to touch. I mean, it's like give me something. You know what I'm saying? Like bite on a wash rag or something. Am I the only one? Okay, maybe so. So, so he's. But notice now again, the Old Testament principle was that. The fathers ate the sour grapes, but the children bore the consequences. The children had the sharp teeth, not because they ate the grapes, but because the ancestor ate the grapes, and now that, that, that consequence of that sin has, has fallen upon them. See, that's how that, that old system works. But thank God we're not, we're not under that old system. Now, listen to me, please. Somebody would say, well, that's not fair, Pastor Mark. Well, guess what else is not fair if we're going to talk about fair? It's not fair, amen, that we now enjoy all the benefits of what Jesus has done for us. In other words, that's not fair on the other side of the coin. We now enjoy benefits from His, big word like mayonnaise, substitutionary, that, that simply means He was our substitute, He stood in the gap for us, He did it for us, as us, right? So now we are the beneficiary of, of His substitutionary work. Amen. So now, all these things that Jesus did on this earth as a man, He has given you the credit and the reward for as if you did it yourself. See, it's the great exchange. He who knew no sin became your sin. Right? So that you could become His righteousness. Amen. He allowed Himself to be separated from His Father so that you could be rejoined and become one again with, with God, with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Are you following me? The Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. Alright, I stuttered on that. Let me go back over it. The Son of God became a Son of Man so that the sons of men could become sons of God. He did all of this for you and me. So when we are born again, you, listen, the Bible simply says it this way. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God and that God the Father has raised Him from the dead. If you believe this and confess this, you will be saved. Now, He made it easy. He put it on a low shelf so that anybody could, could reach and take it. You don't have to understand all of this to be saved. But again, remember what we said, one of the great problems that we have in the body of Christ is there's a lot of people who've been born again who have no idea what happened to them when they were. They have no idea what's true about them now that they are. Okay? So what really happened when you were saved, when you were born again, when you received salvation through the new birth, what really happened for you is you accepted for yourself what Jesus had already done for you on your behalf. You accepted it for yourself. He did it for you, 
But you've got to call upon His name. You've got to receive it for yourself. And that's exactly what you did in order to be saved. Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Thank you, sister. Jeremiah, thank you, sister. Pass my wife, I call her sister, right? Amen. I call everybody sister and brother. Amen. Thank you, darling. Thank you, doll baby. Amen. Now, we'll quit there. All right, so, praise God. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 22. And, and this one really just grabs it and, and, and captures it in a, in, a, in a very brief verse. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Right? So in Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, let's skip down just for sake of time. Let's go to verse 45. And there's quite a few verses here. I'm going to read through them and um, I'll comment on a few of them. Praise God. Alright, and so it is written... The first man, Adam, became a living being. We find that in Genesis. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Now, I've already kind of given you some hints, but anybody want to guess who the last Adam is? Jesus is the last Adam. So, if you understand this as the fountainhead of a race of people, in other words, all those who descended from the first Adam because they were in Him, now we are in Christ. Jesus came to establish a fountainhead of a new kind of people, a, a, a new creation nation. Amen. And that's the new creation nation that you and I are all a part of, right? So the, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is why two born-again people can't give birth to a born-again person. Because the, it's the spirit, right, that is born again that comes from a gift given by the last Adam. Okay, and, and so it was, I do not know what's going on with this tonight. Praise God. All right. Technology. All right. Verse 46 says, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. Okay, now let's jump in at uh, verse 47. The first man, this speaking of Adam, was of the earth, made of the dust. The second man, notice it's a capital M, is the Lord from heaven. I don't know what's going on here. I'm just going to keep reading. As the man of dust, as was, verse 48, the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man. Who's the heavenly man? And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. This is why, again, you must, you must be born Again, all right. Let me give you another verse here. First John chapter four and verse seventeen. Amen. I'm just going to keep going because I don't know why they're not going up on the screen. Please forgive me for that. I'm sure it's operator error with me being the operator. All right. Do what now? First John four and seventeen. 
And what it says, I'm just going to turn there right here, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. That's not going to be the case with all of these, I pray. 1 John 4 and 17. It says, love has been... Perf- I'll let you turn there, praise God. Amen. There's just some stuff. I, I'm not trying to, to be uh, impatient or rush. There's just some stuff that i got to give you tonight. Amen. I'm so excited about giving it to you, all right? So 1 John 4 and 17, it says this, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. As He is, so are we in this world. Notice how it says that the first man was of the earth made of dust, the second man is the Lord from heaven, verse 47 from 1 Corinthians. And as the man of dust, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. Notice he's saying, as he is, so are we in this world. Right now. As he is in heaven right now, so are we in this world right now. Praise God. That's why, again, the outward man doesn't tell the whole story because even in its best day, it can't tell the whole story of what is true about you inwardly right now. Praise God. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try something real quick here. Okay, I'm going to try to X out of this and, uh, and see if we can get us somehow synced back up. All right, the next uh, set of Scriptures I want you to turn to is Ephesians chapter 2. So go ahead and turn there with me, please. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. And, um, amen. So praise God. All right, Ephesians chapter 2. And we'll begin at verse number 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 11. So as you turn in there, just a few more mentions from 1 Corinthians, all right? In Adam all die, in Christ all shall be made alive. The last Adam was a life-giving spirit. The first Adam was a living being. Last Adam was something much more than the first. Okay? First man was of the earth. He was made of dust. The second man was not made from dust. He's the Lord from heaven. We're no longer in the man of dust. We are now in the heavenly man. As we have borne the image of the man of dust, we have borne the image of the man of dust. What does that mean? That means we have reflected in our lives, in our behavior, in our actions, that, 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 uh, that, that nature of wrath. But just as we bore the image of that man, the first Adam, we're now bearing the image of the last Adam, the heavenly man. I'm reviewing while you turn. Praise God. Amen. All right. I was going to talk about 1 Corinthians until I didn't hear any more pages turning. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Praise God. Did, was a lot of people confused by that? Okay, all right. Amen. Amen. Only the old lady? You're not an old lady. All right. So here we go. Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are also who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time... Now, I want to point out to you that he says that we're once Gentiles in the flesh. Alright? Once Gentiles in the flesh. That means what you were before. 
Okay? He says that at that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were, were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both, for some reason it's only given us the first one of these. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quit paying attention to that and I'm going to just give it to you. You ready? Alright. For He Himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity. That is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Just go with me, I'll come back and explain this, alright? So as to create in Himself one new man from the two. If you underline things in your Bible, underline that phrase. So as to create in Himself, where? In Himself, in Christ, one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that He might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And He came and He preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now, let me, let me explain this, and then we'll make some comments, and we'll move on to the next ones, okay? When God called Abram, and we now know him as Abraham, when God called him, he called him out to separate him from his family, from his people, from his culture, from all the different gods and idols that he worshipped. He called Abraham out to himself, and he said, I want to bless you, I want to prosper you, and I want to make of you a great nation. And Abram says, okay, that's fine, where are we going? And God says, I'll, sh I'll show you and tell you when we get there. So his journey was a journey of faith. Now if you understand what God was doing here, God was, God was preserving a, a race of people um, unto Himself through which He could bring His Son and His salvation to the earth through all the descendants of Abraham. And so, in so doing this, God separated the descendants of Abraham, also known as the Israelites or as the Jewish people. He separated them from all other peoples of the earth, and He made them a special people unto Himself. And He gave them very specific commandments, very specific instructions, a very specific covenant. Again, on and on and on. Right. All to try to, that's why he told them don't marry with other people, you know, keep all of this uh, with, within, uh, you know, this one bloodline. And, and, and this was so that, because remember, all this is after, you know, the days of Noah when every thought and every heart became only evil continually. And so we see that now God has, has created this situation. And so now that Jesus has come, and has provided salvation for all men, for all nations, for all peoples of the earth, there still remains a division that, that God created, I guess we could say it that way, in the sense that the Gentile and the Jew, and a Gentile just simply means any non-Jewish people, anyone who is not a descendant of Abraham, those were Gentiles, okay? Um, Samaritans were half Gentile, half Jew, but still, amen, just for sake of those, you know, to clarify. 
And, and so we've got this issue that you know, we've got two races of people and God's not a God of division. He's a God of unity. He's a God of oneness. So what is the solution? Are you following me? What is, what is the solution? How are we going to fix this problem, uh, uh, this, this division between those who were descendants of Abraham, born of Abraham's seed, and those who were not, who were you know, born of other seed uh, from other races on planet earth? Well, the answer is very simple. Jesus has made both one, verse 14. He Himself is our peace. Notice now, Jesus didn't come to, to negotiate peace. He didn't come to try to take the two parties and sit them down at a table and try to come to some solution, some way they could you know, live in harmony. No, no, no. He didn't come to, to broker peace. He didn't come to negotiate peace. He came to be the peace. He came to be the final answer to this division. He Himself, verse 14, is our peace who has made both one, right? And has broken down the middle wall that separated us from one another. How did He do it? Verse 15, He abolished in His flesh the enmity. He abolished in His flesh that which separated us. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but let me just plant it now. What Jesus did is He took all of those commandments that we could not live up to, He obeyed them and then nailed them to His cross. Okay? So as to create in Himself, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, so how, how do we correct this problem of, of different bloodlines born from different seed? Give the Jew and the Gentile both the opportunity to be born a second time of the same seed. Are you following this? So now those who are born of the seed, capital S-E-E-D, of Christ, we have now become one together in Him. Are you seeing this? I'm not necessarily here to teach on Abraham. I'm not necessarily here to teach on the commandments or the ordinances. I'm not necessarily here tonight to teach on uh, you know, the Samaritans and all these other things. What I'm, what I'm here to teach on is what it means to be in Christ. And I'm trying to get you to see this from a different angle tonight. That this, this Again, it's not a figurative experience. It's a literal experience. Those who were born of Abraham's seed, those who were born of other seed, now are born a second time of the same seed and become one in Christ. Because we are what? Created so as to create in Himself one new man. One new man. From the two. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, that we mentioned this verse in class either yesterday or today. But notice it says that we who were strangers to the covenants. In other words, we had no covenant with God. We had no operating agreement with God. If you're, if you're a non-Jewish person, we... We had no hope whatsoever. We were outsiders, right? But notice, Jesus preached peace with God both to those who were near, those would have been the Jewish men and women, and to those who were afar off, those would have been the non-Jewish men and women. He preached peace, a message of peace with God. How is that peace realized? Through the new birth, creating in Himself one new man. Alright, praise God. Let's see if we can get through some of these others here. I don't know why it's doing this, but we're going to get there. All right? 
Let's go to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Praise God. John chapter 12, John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. Thank you, Jesus. That is quite the mystery. But we're not going to fool with it anymore. We're just going to keep going. Everybody good? Am I going too fast for you tonight? Okay. So, if we've been born of God, if we've been born of His seed, if we are a partaker of His divine nature because we were born of His incorruptible seed, does it not stand to reason that we have now then become sons of God? Because we've been born of God, we are sons of God. Now, this may actually be part of the answer to a question that we were asked before class about marriage and, and, and these kinds of things. Okay, so I don't want to try to revisit that. But let me just go ahead and get this part out there. Um, and we'll explain it with the, with the Word of God as we come to it. But let me go ahead and get this out there because you say, well, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a female, Pastor Mark. Where does that leave me? Well, the good news is it leaves you where it leaves everybody else. Not as a second class person, but even though you are female in gender, you are still in standing with God, that of a son. Okay? So when we say born of God, sons of God, it's kind of like when we say, you know, man versus mankind, a man versus mankind. Uh, you hear me say it often, you know, there's, there's, there's men and then there's special men, there's men who have a womb, and we call them women, women, okay? So, you have to look at it that way, ladies, as well. When we say sons of God, this maybe is not as big an issue for us as it would have been for them in their day. Because uh, women were, were not... And listen, we still deal with this in our country. right? This nation's a pretty progressive nature, but women are, are still, in many ways, uh, not given the same opportunities as men. Um, so, I'll show you again as we work through this. That, um, that God hasn't, our Father hasn't left you out of this, all right? Now, um, just ignore that, praise God, please. Um, John chapter 1 and verse, verses 12 and 13. It says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So we had a lot of um, knots and nors in there. Verse 13. Notice it says, who were born, comma, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, 
uh, nor the will of man, but of God. So, who were born of God. Now, the verse before this one says, Jesus came to His own people, but His own people received Him not. His own people rejected Him. But as many as have received Him, to, to those He gave the right. King James Version says the power. The power and the ability, the authority, the right and the privilege to become children of God. Not just be called children of God, but to, to literally, actually become children of God. Those who believe in His name. How is it that we became children of God? We became children of God because we were born of God. Not of physical blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but were born of God. Alright? Now, turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse, and we'll look at verses 12 through 16. Thank you, Jesus. All right, verses 12 through 16. <clears throat> Look at somebody next to you and say, I've been born of God. I've been born of God. Amen. Amen. Alright, 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 12. It says this, it says, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. Amen. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and He who abides in love abides in God, and God in Him. Let's go back to verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Anybody in here done that? God abides in you then, and you in Him. Okay? Notice again, we were in Adam. Now there's another verse that says, not only do you abide in God, but God now abides in you. Okay, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Verses, uh, verse number 26. Praise God. Galatians 3 and 26. Thank you, Jesus. Now, I, again, I'm not apologizing for this. I'm just trying to show you and, and draw your attention to what I'm doing here. We've made some pretty bold claims um, over the last two classes in class 29 and class 30, we, we made some, some pretty bold claims. We use the Word of God to make those claims. I sometimes describe what we're doing now as backfilling. So if you understand, like, you know, uh, someone builds a retaining wall, they go in, let's say they want to level out their property, and they go out and they build a wall, and then they come in and they backfill and they level, they level it all out. Okay? So... A lot of the things that we talked about in, in class 29 and 30 
Think of that as like we were building this wall and now we're coming in and we're backfilling with verse after verse after verse to show you that this is not just you know, Pastor Mark having some opinion that he you know, grabbed a couple of verses and tried to stretch to fit something. Now, the other thing, and, and those of you who are, you know, have been studying the Bible for a while um, will know what I'm saying to be true. And that is simply this. I'm only giving you still, in this backfield part, a sampling of what the Bible fully says uh, and the magnitude of what the Bible fully says about all these things. All right? This is by no means an exhaustive list. By no means an exhaustive list. All right, Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 26. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? Now, this goes back to what I said a moment ago about the women, about the females. Okay? Um, you may be of the female gender, but as far as your standing with God the Father, you're a son. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now there's a lot in these verses right here, so we're going to slow down here for just a moment, okay? First of all, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. I have, uh, I, you know, I got sloppy in, in my, uh, you know, in, in things that I, that, I, that I was saying or in the way I, I, I would say things. Um, and, and the Lord corrected me on this because I know better. And, and, and what I mean by sloppy is sometimes I would make the statement, well, we're all God's children. Right? Um, I, I say this a lot when, uh, uh, you know, Auburn beats Alabama or Alabama beats Auburn and the brothers are talking about it in, in class or you see two people kind of getting arguing about it or whatever. And I said, look, you know, we may pull for different teams, but we're all God's children. Okay? Well, that's really not true. That's really not true. It... it, it you could make a case for it from the position that God created every human being. But the true sons and daughters of God, the true children of God, are those who have been born of His seed. Okay? So it's, you know, this idea that, you know, well, we're all God's children, that's really not accurate according to the Scriptures. So when He says you are all sons of God, notice He says you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. It's faith in Christ Jesus that has given us this new, this new identity, this new position, this new creation as a son of God. So you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is why. For or because as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, when we hear baptize, we, or at least me, and I think a lot of us are the same with this, when we hear baptized, we think ceremony. We think someone that's submerged in water, or if you were raised in a different denomination, maybe, maybe sprinkled with water. We think, that, we think in terms of the, of the baptism, baptismal ceremony, okay? As opposed to what the word is, it, it means or, or what it's communicating. 
So for instance, in 1 Corinthians 10, it talks about those people who passed through the sea with Moses and came out of Egypt with Moses, that they were baptized with the baptism of Moses. That doesn't mean that Moses submerged them all in water. It means that they experienced something with him that forever marked them. They experienced uh, miracles and, and things under his leadership that caused them to align themselves with him and to identify themselves with him. Okay? So, for instance, we don't do this in, in, in our non-denominational church and in a lot of the churches that I've served in, but there are certain denominations, certain churches that when, they're, when the baby, they, they, they do infant baptism, right? And that's when the child is actually given his name. That is a Jewish tradition that is carried over into Christendom, okay? Into Christianity. But notice again, it's not just the water... It is, it is symbolic of an identification. It is symbolic of this is something has happened that, that, that now uh, has forever marked me. It, it has forever identified me. So when it says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ, being baptized into Christ means receiving Him as your Savior. It, it means calling upon the name of the Lord and being saved because that experience again, is something that will forever change you. It will forever mark you. Okay, And notice that when we called upon Him to be born again, we now have put on Christ. Remember, we're explaining what it means to no longer be in Adam, but be in Christ. So now, we were baptized into Christ through this salvation experience, through this new birth experience. And through that new experience, we have now put Him on. We, we are now in Him. I put this shirt on. I'm now in this shirt. Okay? Are you following me? If, if I was to... You know, this ribbon is in this Bible. This photograph of my, of my dear sister, right? Notice now, it's, it's here and the Bible's here. But now watch. Now it's in the Bible, right? It has put on the Bible. It's in the Bible and the Bible is, is, has completely surrounded it. Completely encapsulated it, right? So when we were born again, we, we now are in Christ. We have put on Christ. And it's even better than that, praise God. Because when we put Him on, we became like Him. We, we were born of His seed. Which now we have partaken of a new nature. But now that we've partaken of a new nature, we've also been given or have received a new identity. Amen. So let's go back to it. The, the, the orange was created by a seed that produced an identity, a nature and an identity. In the same way that the apple, right? It was created by a seed that produced a nature and, and the identity of the apple. You, you know, we even use this uh, as a cliche or, or a euphemism or whatever to say, well, you're not comparing apples to oranges, right? Because we understand there is a, a distinct difference in these two, okay? So, if you take someone who has been born again and someone who has not been born again, if you're just looking at them outwardly, you may not be able to tell the difference, okay? But the, the, the transformation that took place in the one that's born again, right, is, is radically different inwardly compared to the one who has not yet been born again. Are you still with me? Now, he then explains to us this new identity that we have put on and are in. We are in Christ. And this is what he says of it. 
he says that we're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And because we've been baptized into Christ, we've put on Christ. And because we've been baptized into Christ and put on Christ and are all sons of God through faith in Christ, now there's neither Jew nor Greek. And there's neither slave nor free. And there's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what he just did with these three categories, watch this very carefully now, what he just did with these three categories is he basically covered all different identifying factors. Gender factors, genetic factors, nationality factors, socioeconomic factors. So let's go back to that, that female gender thing. In the day that this was written, if you were a Greek slave, a Greek female slave, or a Greek slave female, a Greek female slave, no joke, no exaggeration, there would have been livestock valued more than you. If you were a freeborn Jewish male, right? Well, you, you pretty much were... Uh, I don't know, how, what's the right way to say this? I mean, you, you, had, you had life by the tail, man. You, you had it made in the shade. Alright? Now, if you look at all the different combinations there, you, are you following what I'm saying? On one end of the spectrum, you have the, the, the free Jewish male. On the, on the opposite end of that spectrum, the low end of that spectrum, you've got the, the slave, uh, non-Jewish female. And everything in between. How people are, are looked upon. How people are judged. How people are are considered all these identifying factors. My brother, my sister, the day we were born again, we received an identity that has overridden, canceled out, and supersedes all other identifying factors in our lives, even the very genetic DNA that determined whether or not we are male or female. Amen. And if you are Christ's, and of course, the idea is that we are. He just spent three chapters explaining it. Then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. When this was originally written, it was not written in chapter and verse. We did that later. So the thought continues in to chapter 4, verse 1. So let's keep reading. Now I say, so basically in light of what we've just established, I say to you that the heir, as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, though he is Lord of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Now I've explained this, I know, of two times already, but it is so important that I think it bears explaining again. Not just for those of you who are new to the class and haven't heard it explained once, but for those of you who have been here for the other two, I think maybe three times we've commented on this, Again, for us to all hear it yet again, okay? So, the question that is not written but is being answered anyway is this one. If this has happened to me and I have received this new identity and I have become a child of God and I have put on Christ and am now in Christ, why in the world am I still living 
like someone who's a slave? Why am I still living like someone who is so beat down, busted, and broke in life, right? That's the question that, again, it's not stated here, but it's being anticipated by the Holy Spirit and therefore is being answered for us. So he's saying, anticipating the question. Because this is what the devil will do to you if you let him, right? Well, I must not be saved. If that's true about somebody who's saved, it's not true about me, so I must not be saved. No, no. If, you, if you've called upon the name of the Lord, you've been saved, and this is true about you right now. So he says, now I say that the heir. He's talking about someone who is an heir of God. Someone who is a child of God, a son of God. Amen. He says that as long as the heir is a child, their condition in life is not going to be much different from that of a slave, even though you're Lord of all, even though you're large and in charge, even though you're master of all. Now, what does it mean to be a child? It's actually a threefold definition. The first one is a child is one who is ignorant. You can be brilliant and still be ignorant. You can have a genius level IQ, but still be ignorant. Ignorant means you don't know, and if you don't know, you don't know. And the sad thing about it is sometimes we don't know what we don't know. All right? So that's ignorant. So he's saying that as, as even though all of this is true about you right now, if you've been born again, if you're ignorant of it, you're not going to live as one who rules and reigns in life. Romans 5, we looked at it last week, right? But you're instead going to live, your life reality is going to look more like that of a slave instead of who you really are, a child of God with the capacity to rule and reign in life. Amen? So number one, a child is one who is ignorant. Number two, one who is immature. And that simply means someone who's not fully developed. Someone who's still growing. Are you seeing a pattern here? The pattern I'm wanting you to see is ignorance is curable. <laughs> right? Immaturity is curable, right? We can grow up. We can learn some things. And we can grow up. So I said a threefold definition. Ignorant, immature. The next one is a little longer than one word. Unable to speak on one's own behalf or his or her own behalf, however you want to write it. Unable to speak on your own behalf. Unable to speak on your own behalf. Now that's kind of an odd one there. You think, what has that got to do with the other two, right? One of these things are not like the others, right? But here is, it, there is a connection. First of all, remember when we talked, for those of you that were here for this, those of you who are not, a brief review here. Remember we talked about the power of words? And, and how we are created by God to solve problems in life by words and, and by faith and by speaking words of faith and 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 you know, just everything from prayer to worship to taking authority over devils and demons to, to you know, being a discipleship counselor and, and speaking truth to people's lives. All of these things, right? Notice, what's, what is the one thing that's common to all of those? And I could give you a whole much longer list than that. It's speaking. My son, when he was little, first time a waitress ever said, hey there, young man, what would you like, right? 
He buried his face in Pam's side. Now, I mean, he'll order straight up. You know, he'd be the first one to order, right? But in those days, he was unable to speak on his own behalf. He needed somebody to do it for him. Are you seeing this? Are you with me? Yes, are you with me? Okay. So one who is a child is one who is ignorant, one who is immature, one who is unable to speak on his or her own behalf. So let's go back to it because I believe there's an order to these things. In order for us to speak on our own behalf, we need some maturity, and in order for us to mature, we need some understanding. As long as you're a child, you'll live like a slave, even though you're a child of God, and free indeed. But as under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba is a term of endearment. We could relate it to maybe the concept of dad or daddy. Now, Here's another place, and again, we could spend the rest of the night tonight looking at verses that just speak of, of new birth, being born of God, and also looking at other verses that speak of this concept of being adopted by God. And there's a lot of confusion here, so I want to clear that up for you real fast like, okay? Because there's a lot of people who say, well, we're not really you know, like born of his seed, we've just been adopted by God, and he loves us, you know, like children. No, 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 no. See, again, that's, you're looking at one without the other. He didn't just say that you've been adopted. The same God who said you have been adopted also said you have been born of his seed. You've both been born of his seed and adopted by him. Now you say, well, why is it necessary for there to be both? It seems like if we were born of his seed, that that would be enough. In other words, that that would be the higher form of, of, of you know, being a son of God. Sonsmanship. Is that even a word? Praise God. Right? Well, again, let me explain it to you. Because it's a cultural thing. It's a cultural thing that would have registered more powerfully for them than it would have for us. In, in their uh, day, inheritance was not divided equally among the children. They did this to keep the family uh, fortune and the family name strong. And so the firstborn son would have received the largest portion of the inheritance. And then the other male offspring would have received a smaller and decreasing amount as, as you went down the line. Sorry, ladies. None for you. Okay? Now, what some men were doing, very disingenuously, what they were doing is, they were trying to act all holy and, and charitable. They would go and they would adopt orphan, male orphan children. They would adopt them and bring them into their family, but not 
to make them sons in the truest sense of the word, they were adopting orphan sons for cheap, or we could even say free labor. Cheap in the sense that you had to feed and clothe them and shelter them, but not pay them. And so, the law stated that if you were going to adopt a son to show that you genuinely wanted him as your son, you had to give him the same standing as your firstborn son and give him an equal share of your inheritance as your firstborn son. See, that cut out all this shenanigan adoption stuff that wasn't legitimate. So when the Bible says that you were born of His seed, again, thank you. Amen. But you would think, well, you know, that would make me like 4,873 whatever in line of those who have been born of His seed. No, no, see, you were born of His seed, but then you were also adopted by Him He put the spirit of adoption inside of you whereby you cry out from your innermost being calling Him Papa, calling Him Abba, calling Him Daddy, right? And the Bible says it this way in Romans the 8th chapter that you've been made not only an heir of God, but you have been made a co-heir, a joint heir with the firstborn, amen, Jesus Himself, entitled to everything from God the Father that Jesus Himself, the firstborn, is entitled to uh, from the Father. That's just straight up good news right there. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John the 8th chapter. Thank you, Father. John, the 8th chapter. Praise God. That's annoying me. John, chapter 8, verse 31. Now, we've looked at these verses more than once and referred to them even more than that. But we're going to read on through where we normally stop either quoting or reading. Okay, So, John, chapter 8, verse 31. You're going to recognize these if you don't already. John chapter 8, verse 31. Still hear pages turning, so I'll give you another second. Amen. Gospel of John, Big John. Chapter 8, verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, Oh, thank you, most gracious Jesus, Savior, Messiah, for giving us this wonderful news that we would have never been able to hear and understand had you not given it to us. Is that what they said? No, no, no. They answered him, hold on a second, Jack. That's New Angeles International Translation. We're Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, first of all, they had been enslaved by Syria. They'd been enslaved by Babylon and were currently enslaved by Rome, right? But notice the denial, notice the arrogance. But Jesus wasn't referring to that even. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. 
Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, Jesus is talking here clearly about the new birth. Because that's the only way to become a son. That's the only way to abide in Father's house forever. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave doesn't abide in the house forever. But a son abides in the house forever even if the son makes a mistake. Right? I was born a Winslet. My last name's Winslet. I was born from Winslet stock and seed. Now, I could go do some things that would be conduct unbecoming to the Winslet name. But I'm still a Winslet. Because I was born a Winslet. Right? Do you see what Jesus is saying here? Slave doesn't abide in the house forever, but a son. A son, he abides forever. And if the Son makes you free, free from what? Sin. Makes you free from sin, you shall be free indeed. Praise the name of the living God. Can you take a few more? Let's go over to 1 John. 1 John 3 and stay there. We'll go from 1 John 3 on into 1 John 4. We're going to look at just a few verses here. And, um, and then we're going to go 1 John 5. So 1 John 3, then we'll go 1 John chapter 4, then we'll go 1 John chapter 5. Amen. Then we're going to connect some things together. Praise God. Backfilling. Backfilling. Amen. These classes have different flavor, they're different tone, different, you know, amen. Alright, so 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. Behold, that means take a long and thoughtful look. Spend some time considering. Don't rush through this, but linger here for a moment, right? Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. We should spend some time considering it every day. We should spend some time connecting with every day. I didn't spend much comment, give much comment to it. That passage we read earlier where it said, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. I have no problem with you telling the Lord that you love Him. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you to do that. The Lord corrected me several years ago. When I say corrected me, He brought to my attention, right? That I was always talking about how much I love Him, right? I'm not saying I don't do that anymore, but I, I started doing something else. I started thanking Him for loving me. I started acknowledging His love for me. Any love that I have for Him is because He first loved me. And the only way I'll ever grow in my love for Him is if I grow in, his, in, in my understanding of His love for me. Amen. So instead of saying all the time, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, I say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for believing the best about me. Thank you for never giving up on me. So behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. So why should we be called children of God? Because we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when, uh, we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. 
He goes on to say, too close to not at least mention it, he who has this hope in Christ will purify himself even as Christ, even as he is pure. Turn over with me to 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. If you haven't committed this verse in its entirety to memory, I would encourage you to do so. It is, it is a great, uh, as they all are, but this is great ammunition to use against the devil. 4.4, 4. so chapter 4, verse 4, makes it easy to remember. 1 John 4.4. 4. You're probably familiar with the last part of this verse. Not as many people are familiar with the first part. The first part is what makes the last part have teeth. Amen? 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You are of God, little children. Look at me for a moment. Why are we, why are we of God? Because we've been born of God. You are of God, little children, and will one day overcome them. Is that what it says? I see I snuck one in on you there. It doesn't say you will one day overcome. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. God, Father God has already seen you win battles that you haven't gotten to yet. Why have we already overcome a battle that we haven't fought yet? Because Jesus has already fought it for you and won for you. Because you are of God, you are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, there is no weapon that can stand that can defeat you in Christ. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because He who is in you is greater than He who is in the world. Now this is one of my uh, favorite meditation verses. Meditation is something Eastern religion stole from Christianity, stole from God. It's in the Bible, meditate. Meditate means to mutter under one's breath or to mutter softly to oneself. For years you know, my life, I would lay down to sleep at night and it would all come rushing in. All the problems, all the issues, all the this, all the that. How are you going to pay this? How are you going to work this out? How are you going to solve this? You got more cabinet jobs this week than you got people to put them in. You got people counting on you. If you don't, if you don't make him happy, he's going to drop you and he's one of your best clients. Blah, 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 blah. Right? So again, if you try to fight the devil, fault for fault, you're going to lose every time. You, 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 you got you to start muttering to yourself. You, gotta, you bring the thoughts captive by saying you take thoughts captive by saying. And so, I'm, again, I'm not trying to act it out. I'm just trying to give you some idea of, of how this looks practically for me. Okay, So I'll lay there under my breath. Again, not trying to keep Pam up. You know, but I'll lay there under my breath. And I'll quote this verse a time or two. You're of God. Little children have overcome them. It's greater as he who's in you than he who's in the world. You're of God. Amen. Mark, you're of God. You're of God because you're born of God. I just, again... You're of God because you're born. I've got eyes closed, just laying there, just, just going over this over and over and over and over again. I'll spend a little time on one part of it, then I'll move on to the next part of it. I'm of God. I have overcome them. I have overcome them. Jesus, you told me that, that you've overcome this world. And because you've overcome the world and I'm in you, I've overcome this world. Greater is he who's in me. I have the greater one in me. Because the greater one is in me, there's no challenge I'll face in life that I can't overcome in Christ. You're of God, little children. I'm of you because I'm your son. I'm your son because I've been born again. And I just sit there and just over and over and over in my mind until I drift off to sleep. Praise God. It's a skill. It's an art form. It's, for many people, a lost art form. 
I'm encouraging you tonight to resurrect it in your own life, in your own walk with the Lord. That lost art of meditation. Amen. On the Word of God. Alright, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Now, I want to make sure that we understand something tonight. Again, this part is very important. First John chapter 5. I, before I say that, let me read the five verses. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Well, there it is again, right? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Okay, then you're born of God. And everyone who loves Him, Jesus, who begot, in other words, that you were born from, also loves Him who is begotten of Him. So let me try to show you what that means, okay? Um, Shay has been begotten of God. He's been born of God. I also have been born of God. Okay? Yes? And I love Jesus. And Jesus loves Shay. But because I've been born of God and He's been born of God, one sign that that is true of both of us is that we're going to love one another. That's what he's saying here. Okay, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Remember, He only had two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Not will, but has. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Then he asks the open-ended question, who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The answer is nobody. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, we have progressed through many different sections, and now we're drawing to you know the end of this class year this this discipleship counselor training class school year if you will this is we're almost done with 31 so we've got five classes to go all right and as we continue to build but notice now a lot of that stuff that that provided the foundation it's it's it's, it's bringing us up with it. Are you seeing this? You know, it's, it's like the guy that um, got stuck in the well and he just kept, you know, pulling dirt down. I don't know if it would work or not, but, you know, he just kept, you know, taking the dirt and, and as the dirt kept filling in the well, he kept, you know, climbing up on the dirt until he finally got himself out of there, okay? Now, I'll, what is that? Amen. Just kept packing it down until he came up out of the grave, right? 
I thought you said dog catcher. And I'm like, what has a dog catcher got to do with this, sister? Amen. Amen. A donkey. I got you now. Yeah. Amen. All right. I don't, you know, the erstwhile ramblings that I come up with sometimes. I apologize. But the idea, of course, is that as the Lord is building these truths into our lives, He's carrying us somewhere. Now, when we talk about the new birth, when we talk about salvation, a lot of times people only look at this or try to understand this from the perspective of what I call eternal destination. Are you following me? In other words, will I go to heaven or hell? And we have so trivialized the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that we have reduced this gospel down to eternal destination. And in the process, we have lost what it is also just as much about, if not more. And that's your daily victory. Jesus didn't just bleed to death naked on a cross to secure your eternal destination. But what He did on that cross, He did so that you could live every day of your life in victory in Christ Jesus on planet earth. So that we could overcome. So that we could rise above. So that we could be what? More than conquerors and always being led into triumph in and by Christ Jesus. We started again, I'm referencing some things that we're, we're trying to gather up. If you can kind of picture, you know, a, a giant uh, pouch and now we're kind of pulling the strings tight. We're gathering a bunch of things together. Okay? And in the early days of these classes, again, some of you were here for that, some of you were not. But we talked about Father's desire was completely different than what so many people understand it to be. And let me try to sum it up this way. They view salvation as a means of getting into heaven. But Father's plan of salvation for you was not just to get you into heaven one day in the future. His plan for salvation concerning your life was to actually get heaven into you so that you could then get heaven into the earth. Amen. Prepare the way. Praise God. Now, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 in verse number 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. I'm going to try this again for a couple of reasons. One of which is um, so we said a couple of classes ago that we're going to use some terminology that's related. That's related, but not necessarily synonymous. In other words, that they don't necessarily mean the same thing. And those terminology, those words, that terminology is is the terminology, the term salvation, and the term or terminology, the new birth. 
salvation and the new birth. Right? So you say, well, Pastor Mark, did I get saved? Or was I born again? And the answer is yes. Okay? Yes. Yes, I'll try. Amen. I, don't, I mean, I said exactly the same way twice, okay? So, so and I've, I, we can obviously get you a CD because we spent probably two hours on it. So I'm just trying to reference some things and again, bring some things back on the table tonight. But Jesus came from the third heaven to bring the government of God to the earth. When Jesus came to this earth, he came to declare the good news, the gospel of the kingdom. And that good news is that the king has come to the earth and he has brought his kingdom with him. And by kingdom we mean the rule of God, the reign of God, the realm of God, the resources of God. I try to do them all ours just because it's easier to remember. Okay? So every miracle that Jesus performed on the earth he performed by the authority and the power and the resources of Father's kingdom. So when Jesus would say things like, the kingdom is at hand or the kingdom is near, He was of course saying that the kingdom that was once three heavens away is now here upon the earth. It's, it's as close as an outstretched hand. It was once so far removed Daniel had to pray and fast 21 days just to get an answer to a question from heaven. But thank God we don't live in those days anymore. The kingdom of God is upon the earth. And Jesus said that the prophet said when the kingdom comes to the earth that it will continue to grow and increase and of the increase of His government there will be no end. But His government would be unique in that it would not be a crown upon His head but he said the government would be upon his shoulder. And that, of course, is significant because Jesus is the head of the church, but we are the body of Christ. And so now his government rests upon you and me. Because the kingdom that was once nigh at hand, the Bible says Father has now given it to you and has put it in you. Amen. So the kingdom of God now is in us. So that the kingdom of God, the resources, the rule, the reign, the realm. Uh, and so Jesus' message was a kingdom message. He taught consistently and continually about the kingdom. And in one particular place, Matthew 13, Jesus went, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it was five, back to back to back to back to back, maybe one more back, of, of parables. And those parables basically began this way. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. Teaching His disciples about the kingdom. Then, around verse 50, He says, Do you have, are you understanding all of this? And they're like, Man, we got it, Jesus. Let's go get a cheeseburger. Right? And Jesus says, So do you have it? Right? He says, Message translation. He says, Everyone who is perfectly trained in the kingdom will be like the owner of a general store who can put their hand on anything that anybody needs anytime they need it. That's the resource that's in you right now. That's the kingdom that's in you right now. So when we say our limited understanding of salvation is that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me for my sins so I can go to heaven one day and not go to hell, right? 
That is such a limited and even in many ways inaccurate understanding of what salvation is all about. When you are born again, you're seated together with Jesus in the heavenly places. I'll show you that in the Scriptures next week. Right. So this idea that salvation is only about getting us into heaven and securing our eternal destination is such a limited, broken, incomplete, even in many ways inaccurate understanding of salvation. We've been born again so that we would become qualified vessels for the very Spirit of God to come and live in. He has put within us His kingdom. So again, it's not about getting you and me into heaven. It's about getting heaven into us so that He can then get heaven into the earth. When Jesus taught us to pray, He said, pray after this manner, Our Father who art in heaven. So where are we when we're praying? We're on the earth. Where is the Father we're praying to located? He's in heaven. But notice Jesus didn't say, you guys pray to my Father. He said, let's all pray to our Father. Jesus' daddy is my daddy too. Amen. So hallowed be His name, giving Him the place of respect and honor and reverence that He deserves. And then Jesus said, this is the crux of prayer. Father, Your kingdom come so that Your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven on earth as it is in heaven. This should be the battle cry of the church on earth as it is in heaven. There's no sickness. There's no poverty. There's no cancer. There's no starving children in heaven. Amen. And so the prayer that we should pray and the life that we should strive to live is one that heaven in us is breaking through us into the earth and into people's lives around us. Did I mention there's no addiction in heaven? Amen. All right. So, amen. That was probably a little bit more than you were looking for, but I didn't do that justice, and I still haven't done it justice. But So the idea, again, is the enemy would love for us to think that all salvation, getting saved, I got saved, you know, I got baptized, and then uh, and I, you know, we, we went home and ate some spaghetti, you know, to celebrate. Because, you know, little kids, right? And so now, you know... Uh, uh, I pray my soul to keep, you know, that I go to heaven one day when I die, and, and these kinds of things. It's, again, the devil's hoping that's all we understand about these things. But there's so much more, so, 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 so much more to all of this, all right? So, thank you, Jesus. All right, so salvation and the new birth. I'm only going to be able to set this up. We'll tee it up, and then we'll, we'll knock it over the fence next week, all right? But let's, let's get this established. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again. Remember, that's a birth word, begotten. We have been born again. He has birthed us again to a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. You say, this is supposed to clear things up, Pastor Mark? That's just confusing me even more. No, no, just hang with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Alright? Turn with me now to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And let's begin at verse 
number 15. Colossians 1 and 15. This will be the last Scriptures for the evening. Praise God. Colossians chapter 1. If you highlight things in your Bible, I would recommend you highlighting these, okay? Colossians chapter 1. And we'll begin at verse number 15, okay? 15 is the only verse this slide's going to let me put up on the screen. No, it put up 15 and 16, didn't it? All righty. Well, amen. Maybe that's helping us. I don't know. We'll get that figured out before next week. All right. This is speaking of Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. Right? Now let's go to verse 17. What did I skip? Amen. 15, 16, 17. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. Okay? Now, what we see in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 3, and what we see in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, is that Jesus was not just raised from the dead, but that He was born from the womb of death. He was born from the womb of death. There was a time when Jesus was referred to as the only begotten Son of God. That's not speaking of His eternal position as Son of God because Jesus is, is God as much as God the Father, as much as God the Holy Spirit. So there's no time when the eternal Son of God was actually given birth to. His birth is referring to when He was born from the womb of the Virgin Mary and He became a man and lived among us. But if you read your Bible carefully, you'll see that He's no longer referred to as the only begotten Son of God, but He's now referred to as the firstborn among many brethren. Jesus was actually the first born again man. He was born again from death. And He was raised from the dead to newness of life. So what we see then in Scripture is that when we call upon the name of the Lord, again, we are receiving for ourselves, remember we talked about that in the beginning of the class, we are receiving for ourselves what Jesus has done for us as our substitute. Don't try to write this down right now. I, I, I mean, I just want to run over it real quick, real, real quick, because I'm fixing to pray, okay? 
But what we see in His resurrection, the Bible includes you in on all that He did. The first thing the Bible says Jesus did for you is He lived a sinless life when you couldn't live one. And when you and when I, when, 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 when I deserved and you deserved to die for your sins, He died for us. And then He was buried, and then He was raised up, and then He returned to the right hand of God the Father. I'm going to show you in verse after verse after verse next week. For instance, Galatians 2.20 says this, that I was crucified with Him. When He died, He didn't just die for me, He died as me, because I am in Him when He died, I died with Him. When He was buried, my old man, my old nature was buried with Him. And when He was raised up together to newness of life, I was raised up together with Him to newness of life. My prayer is that after you understand these things from the Scripture, you'll never celebrate another Easter the same way again. Because on Easter Sunday, my brother and my sister, we're not just celebrating His resurrection, we're celebrating ours! We weren't spiritually sick. We were spiritually dead. Sin killed us. We were dead men walking. But Jesus gave us the opportunity to live a sinless life in Him. To, to be crucified in Him. To be buried in Him. And now to be raised up together and now seated together with Him in the heavenly places. This is salvation. And notice it came to us through the new birth. Born from what? We know that we were reborn by the Word of God. That's the seed from which we were born the second time. But what was the womb from which we were born? We were born from the womb of death. And have now been given eternal life. Amen? Alright, Father God, we love You. We thank You for the things that You're teaching us, the things that You're helping us connect with. Father, large quantities of Your holy, precious, eternal Word have been sown into the hearts and lives of many, many people tonight. I thank You, Father, that we're receiving this Word. Lord, I know for some it was like you know, trying to drink from the proverbial fire hydrant, but Father, I thank You that these, these words, Lord, are, are being planted deep within us. Father, in the truth and the reality that we are Your sons and that we are in right standing with You tonight, and that we are a co-heir, a joint heir with Jesus Himself tonight because of Your great love and because of Your great grace. We thank You for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God.